All right, guys, nice to see you again. Um, if you missed the morning, my name is Donnie, and uh, my wife Jill and I are just so thankful to be here with you all the way from North Carolina. Um, we're going to take a few minutes and look at uh, what, is it, what does it look like to raise up leaders for the next generation. Um, and so just a couple of things on that, just by way of intro. This is not a strictly leadership talk in that we're not going to cover everything you've ever needed to know about raising up leaders. This is specifically looking at a few things regarding how we raised up the next generation of leaders, right? And so just log that because you're going to be like, well, he didn't say this and he didn't say that. Also, we're not going to be able to say everything, but I do think some of these things are going to be helpful. Um, another thing that you should know just for so many new faces in the room is that, you know, really as a, as a movement, we have opted away from being extremely specific on how you must raise up leaders if you're going to be in advance. And that's because of a lot of reasons, but, but I mean, namely, we're in different contexts. I mean, extremely different contexts. We are extremely different leaders. Our churches are in extremely different seasons and different sizes, and we're different gifts. And there's all kinds of reasons why we shouldn't be prescriptive um, in, in a specific way about raising up leaders. So when we talk about this kind of thing, we want to be general and helpful, and I hope that I can, I can honor that. So that said, what are some things that we can do uh, to raise up the next generation of leaders? I'm just going to kind of walk us through a few things that I think the next generation of leaders needs, and, and I'm using leadership in a broad sense, and so, you know, just don't think just elder or just church planter. Think, think kind of broadly, but um, I'm going I'm to list a few things I think they need, um, and then I'm going to just kind of end us with something I think we really need to make sure um, we, we do well. And then we're going to have a panel at the end with some really great uh, other folks in the room, including Sarah, who you just heard from, talk, telling us about how they, how they raise up leaders. So um, one of the first things I think is that, you know, the, the next generation of leaders, uh, they need to know key truths. But they don't need to know everything. They need to know the key, they need to know key truths. Core doctrines, um, you know, uh, really sound theological foundations. They need that, but they don't need to know everything at the beginning. In fact, none of us know everything, right? Um, and and, and I, it's been my experience as you kind of get down the road of, of, of leadership, it's only sort of down the road that you really start to learn some of this stuff. I mean, some things, it just takes time to actually get your head and your heart around, right? You have to be on the road a bit. I think um, as I thought about my own road, I, I basically knew nothing when I went to plant a church. And now, 10 years later, if I'm not careful, I can expect everyone to like know everything before they go plant a church. Now, part of that's birthed from a heart that I want to help develop people and I, I want these leaders to be really strong, but, but I've got to be careful that I don't set the bar so high. You know, the reality is that a lot of us didn't know a lot. You know, we were clueless. In fact, if we would have known more, we probably wouldn't have said yes, right? Um, it, it's, it's like when you do pre-marriage uh, counseling and the couples are like, oh, we're never going to fight, so you can skip that part. You're like, oh, really? Well, that's good for you guys. I mean, really, it's great. You should write a book or two, you know? I mean, it's going to be some time before they realize. But if they knew all the challenges, hey, they, nobody would get married, right? Um, so most of us didn't. I would have. I would have gotten married. But you guys probably wouldn't have. Yes. Someone will thank me later. Um, all right. We didn't know one-tenth of, of what, you know, a lot of these new guys coming through know, but sometimes we can still be withholding. You know, oh, you just need to know, know a little more. You just know, know a little more. 
you know? You know, Don Carson memorized the New Testament in Greek, so just carry on, you know? Like, it's like we, you know, we just need to be careful there. Um, so they need to be taught some core things, but they don't need to know everything. Secondly, they need to know, they need to learn how ministry is done. They don't just need to know theology. They need to learn how to do ministry, how to lead. So this is philosophy of ministry stuff. This is DNA. This is the how-to's. It's not just what, it's how-to. It's, it's not just here's truth. It's how to apply it. Um, one, of, one of the pastors in the room that I learned so much from is a guy named Kirk Randolph. He's here, and, and, and he had gotten his theological de- degree like 25 years before he was always telling us how, man, over those 25 years, he really was learning how to apply that thing that he knew, right? So they need to learn that from us. I think um, about what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, the end of that verse, so he says, I'll show you a more excellent way. And that word way, it means a road or a path. And by, by saying there's a more excellent way, what's Paul also saying? Well, there are some, there are some roads that just aren't excellent. And that's the truth. In ministry, there are some roads that just aren't excellent. There are some ways of doing ministry that aren't excellent, that aren't even good, that are super unhelpful and harmful and hurtful. And and so our job is to help them not just learn things, but learn how to do those things, right? To to help help come alongside them and and talk to them about things like ministry idolatry and, 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 you know, how, how, how we should, we must not treat the sheep like this. And, you know, that don't lord authority over all those things. Those, those are ways that we need to be teaching them. Another thing is they need, to, they need opportunities to try, and they need to be getting clear feedback. I was recently asked, along with a, a few other pastors um, at our church and, and, and our wives, to go and be part of a, a little bit of a ceremony for a, one, of, one of our pastors. His son was, he was turning 13, and they wanted, to, they wanted to have a little moment for him to welcome him into manhood, which was just beautiful and powerful and amazing. And uh, three of us have been asked to give gifts uh, to, this, to this young boy. And all three of us, without asking each other, rocked up with brand new knives. That was like prophetically what we all felt to give him, a knife. And, um, and so uh, he's standing there holding the first knife. And he, in the middle of his dad, really prophesying over him this just powerful thing, he cuts himself. And I mean, I can see blood straight away. And I can tell he's hurting and he doesn't want to talk about it. It's just hectic. I mean, there's a fire. There's all these men. We're all watching him. He just got given this. We just said it's a big responsibility. He's already cut himself. <laughs> and, um, you know, w- what happened inst- instantaneously, we jumped around and we said, hey, he said, I don't know how to close it. He just confessed. He blurted out loud. I don't, I don't know what to do with this. Hey, cool. Well, let me show you really quick. This is how you do it. And then all of us were like, hey, you want to see our scars? Look, that right there, that's a chainsaw, Asher. <laughs> That's a chainsaw, man. It could have been worse. Trust me. You know, like, like I cut myself here, here, here. I mean, we've all done it, you know. And I thought it was such a beautiful picture um, of, of, you know, giving, giving someone an opportunity and then quickly getting around them, giving them feedback and helping them. I mean, and I love how in Luke 10, uh, Jesus sends these guys out. They come back. They're all excited, you know, but, they, but, they, but they're rejoicing in some of the wrong things. And so Jesus helps them. He course corrects. And then he models the very next thing we see, it says, in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Father. And so he's not just saying, you should have done that better. He's going, hey, now watch me. Watch how I do it. I, I love that. So we should be giving them opportunities to begin to step out and to do ministry and step out and to lead. And, hey, what about doing the call to worship? And what about this? We give them little opportunities. And then we build ourselves. We build in ourselves an expectation that they are going to, they are going to make mistakes. And when they do, we don't take ministry away from them. 
You know, Jesse uh, Asher's dad didn't snatch the knife out of his hand and say, oh, well, let's try again when you're 18. You're clearly not ready for this. He didn't shame him and mock him and humiliate him. He just, hey, 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 we've all done it. Let me help you through that, right? So we give feedback, and in the feedback, we, we, we show our scars. And sometimes we can be really good at, at telling about our successes but not our scars. You know, and what we're passing on to the next generation is this, this idea that somehow we have never messed up. And that's just not helpful. It's not attainable. It's not realistic. Some of you guys here want a beard like this. It's just not realistic. <laughs> My man in the back, let it go. Let it go. Be yourself. So let's be quick to, um, let's be quick to tell them how we've blown it. Let's be quick to, to help them know what to do. Steve and Jack taught us this years ago. Here, here's some things to do again. Here's some things to do differently, right? Um, so Asher, do again. The do again here is tell someone you need help. Because that's not what men normally do. Asher, well done. Well done saying, I need help. Guys are not good at that. Well done. Hey, do differently. Don't cut yourself, okay? So um, they need a healthy leadership culture to join. So I love talking about raising up leaders. And I've spent a lot of time trying to do it ourselves and trying to help other churches do it. And I tell you, I, I just think they think that it's culture a lot of the times that's really getting in the way. What I mean by that is I find most often that it's things like envy not ignorance that's keeping us from really reproducing leaders. I mean, it can't just be that we don't know what to do. I Googled a Christian leadership book on Amazon. Over 10,000 titles, right? So there's a lot that's been written on this, and maybe we're just missing that one special book, right? Um, but at the end of the day, I think it's more likely that we've just got this unhealthy culture. Um, you know, that, that old quote, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So I think one of the best things we can do if we want to raise up a healthy um, next generation of leaders is to build a healthy culture. I, I want to just give you a quick drive-by on Genesis 37. Uh, you guys will obviously know the story. You've got Joseph there. He's a cocky little 17-year-old punk. That's what he is. It starts off by saying Joseph was 17 years old. Right away, it's wanting to draw our attention to what we're dealing with, Right? And, um, and then it turns out he's not just this kind of arrogant little 17-year-old. He's extremely gifted. He's got gifted. He got a gift from his dad, this jacket that really made him stand out, right? And then he gets gifted from his heavenly father uh, um, an even more dramatic gift, this ability to interpret dreams. And so he's, he's 17, he is extremely gifted, and he is extremely immature, and uh, this, is, this is who he is. He's trying to figure all this gifting out. And, and what's the culture that he's in? What, what, what's the culture around him? Well, that's the brothers. The brothers are the culture around him, right? And what did they do? Did they hustle around him and encourage him? No. In verses, uh, verse 11 of chapter 37, it says, and his brothers were jealous of him. In verse 19 through 20, they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. So, yeah, he was uh, an arrogant, very gifted 17-year-old, but he was in a culture that was full of envy and jealousy and violence, a culture that wanted to suppress his gifts. Imagine if the brothers would have said, hey, here comes that immature, very gifted 17-year-old brother of ours. Here he comes. And what if one of the brothers would have said, guys, it is not easy being 17. And none of us were as gifted as him when we were that age. 
man, and you know what? We've all been there. We've all been 17. But, man, this, he is really gifted. Guys, this is not easy. His gifting, though, is a, is a blessing. It's a blessing for, for us and a blessing for, for others. And he's part of our family. Guys, let's get around him. Let's help him. Let's coach him. Let's give him grace. How different would that have been? I think a lot of times our, our, local, church, our local church teams and basically our, our local church becomes like a family of origin for next generation leaders. And we know how like powerful family of origin stuff can be. And you either kind of learning, you know, you're catching all this stuff in the family. You know, my, my kids are watching how Jill and I interact, how we fight, you know, do we kiss a lot? I mean, those are things that, like, we don't even think about, but they're thinking about, right? And, and they're going to carry that out. And so we're either raising up a generation that's going to go out secure and sure and, and, and strong and feeling well-loved, and, and, and they're, they've been humbled, but, but in a really godly way and a helpful way, or we're creating this insecure kind of what, what, what kind of, what kind of family of origin are we as a church? They're watching you, and so take advantage of it. Teach them how, how, to, fight, um, how to fight clean. As they're watching in like the, the way that the, the team you know, interacts, man, we're avoiding low blows. We don't name call each other. We fight for unity, which means we, uh, as Tom Tapping says, we catch bricks you know, for each other. Someone's throwing a brick, hey, hey, no, 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 you don't get to do that to one another, right? We, we're assuming the best. We're, we're not gossiping and slandering. We're fighting for each other. We're regularly doing check-ins. We're confessing sin. We're giving grace. I mean, if you want to know how to raise up the next generation of leaders, one of the best things you and I can do is to build a healthy culture which those next generation of leaders can come into and grow and be developed. Uh, just a few more things. They need to be taken seriously. Um, when I was coming through, I never even thought a church plant would be something I'd ever do, but I met Tom and Una Tapping, um, who are on our team. And, and Tom would always, he's famous for saying this, you young guys. He would always say that, you young guys. Um, and, and what he could have meant was, I'm so irritated by you young guys. You young guys drive me nuts, Right? But that's not what Tom meant. Tom would always say, us old, guy, us old guys, I'm not so sure. I'm doing a terrible Tom impersonation. But he, he would say, like, us old guys, hey, I'm not so sure. But you young guys, you're a generation that God is going to use. That's how he would always talk. You know what that did? It made me feel like I had a role to play. It, it made me feel like I had a space to play it in. And it made me feel like there was this warrior cheering me on. That is so good, man. They need to be taken seriously. Are they hearing from us kind of the classic old man talk? Oh, you little punk staring at your phone. We didn't have phones in our day. We had to climb, you know, we had to go to church uphill both ways in the snow and blah, blah, blah. Like, is that what they're hearing or are they hearing, hey, man, I'll, I take you guys seriously. There's calling on you. There's gifting on you. There's potential in you. Yeah, you're a bit of a mess, but man. It's beautiful what God's going to use you guys to do. Just a couple more. They need to have clear calls to move forward and come through. Uh, they don't show up for anything. Well, have you ever invited them? You know, being drugged to church by your parents is different than someone saying, hey, I'd love you to join us for the prayer meeting. And they're like, why? You need a babysitter? No, I want you there. I want you there. I want you to stand right next to me. Watch how I do this. Man, God may put something in your heart to share. Actually, clear calls to come through. Guys, I did not look like a leader. I still don't look like a leader. It's just, let's just own it, man. 
I mean, I could wear a shirt that looks like a tablecloth, but I... Too far. Too far. People believed in me. And they just said, hey, come with me. Stand right here. Listen, watch what I do. People brought me through. They, they made clear calls for me to come through. They didn't put out a group announcement. If anybody wants to come, no, they actually said, hey, Donnie, come. I want you, I want you to be part of this. I want you to lead this. I want you to do something. They, they pushed me. And then they helped me. They need to get around others like them who are also coming through. They need peers. We need peers. They need peers. One of the most catalytic things that we've done and that I've seen others do is to create lots of opportunities for our guys that are coming through and wherever they're coming through to get around others who are doing that. I I and so many of us in the room are a direct result of that kind of activity. People hauled us to a meeting, hauled us to a conference, hauled us to something, and got us around a lot of other people. And we looked across the room and we're like, hey, a bunch of people just like us, young, dumb, passionate for Jesus, feeling our way, finding our way forward, no idea where this is going. And, man, God used it. South African guys here are, uh, we'll hear more about this tomorrow night at the offering, but they're going to, they're going to they're gonna do a huge youth camp for all across the country of South Africa. They're going to get all these young guys together. It's going to lift the tide through the roof. Man, find opportunities to do that stuff. Last thing I, I wanted to share with you is I think on us, we need to cast a more compelling vision. You know, um, at least where I live and where most of us have lived, it used to be a really honest way to make a living, you know, being in ministry of some sorts. And more and more, it's just being becoming a calling that's marked with rejection, humiliation, and sorrow after sorrow. Oddly, it reminds me of our commercial fishing industry where I live. Um, Factories are all shut down. They're falling to pieces. Boats are everywhere, left derelict and abandoned. Harbors are totally empty. Pressures from government and, and, and rules just keep piling up, making it very hard, nearly impossible to make a living. The stories of the past, those are the good old days where we wish we still lived. It can make you think, who wants to do this? And many of the next generation of commercial fishermen in, in my area, that was really the core of our economy, have just left the area in masses. But there are still some fishermen in our area who love it, despite all this. They wouldn't do anything else even if they could. They've chosen to stay buoyant amidst all the difficulties to keep fighting a way forward. Why? Because there's still a lot of fish to be caught. And those fishermen are seeing the next generation come alongside them and joining them. How does that compare to us? Man, there are so many empty and abandoned church buildings when you really survey the landscape. I've been in some of the places where you live and see old church buildings that are now Indian takeaway restaurants and can be discouraging facing increased pressure from governments and mainstream culture and all the rest. Some places here represented just dealing with flat-out persecution. Many of the existing churches seem to be mostly empty. If we look around, it seems like the good old days are behind us. Remember when you were proud to be a leader in the church? Remember that one revival way back when? This is the kind of way that we can often talk 
It's not compelling. And there are still fish to be caught. So what if what the next generation got from us, we help them count the cost? Sure, that's a really good thing. But we also speak this language of faith. In the face of great difficulty, this is still a noble task. There are troubles, but Jesus is still seeking and saving the lost. Yeah, there's a cost. There are mountains to climb. There are wolves, Satan, and deacons. (laughs) Just kidding. But it is his name. The mountains shake and crumble. In his name, the enemy coils back. He is worth it. And that is a missing narrative, I feel like, for many of us. We are talking about the cost, but we are not talking about the, the privilege. And yeah, there's been generations where they only talked about the cost, but the privilege outweighs the pain. So let's cast a compelling vision. Guys, I want to invite up a few friends to, to help us as we think through this. Um, if Sarah and Hetty and Matt could come on up, that'd be great. Just give us a second. Thought my panel had abandoned me. Come on up, guys. All right. Hello. So, no, go ahead, fine. Just don't have to ask. It's like a pregnant lady sometimes. Just people touching you. Yeah, I know. Okay, I want to quickly introduce these guys. We've just uh, we've got a little bit of time here, but I, I want to just hear from you. Just three really dynamic leaders. There's four of us. One, one, one Pern's going to translate in case you're like this guy cannot count. Um, but um, want to just hear just you know from them. They, they're leading in, in really different contexts, and I think that's important for us. So quickly, can you just introduce yourself? Give, just give us your name, where you're at, and how long you've been in leadership. Matt from Gateway Church on the south coast of the UK, been in leadership for 24 years. Meru na Mori Prasad Poon, Rolpa Nepal Bata, and I'm in Sevaka Gan Laiko. So, Chowda Borsa, Mal Kurum Lagirakeka Chong, Chowda Borsa Boyo. My name is Hari, I come from a place called Rolpa up in the mountains, and we have been leading this church for the last 14 years. Hi everyone, I'm Sarah and I've been in different leadership contexts for the last 20 years. Church, NGO, secular and faith-based. Awesome. Okay, um, I just love each of <laughs> Did anybody clap for you? I don't feel like they clap for you, Matt. Where is the love? All right. What, what's, um, just love each of you just to kind of, you know, briefly answer, you know, what's one of the unique challenges you face uh, when you think about bringing the next generation of leaders through where you're at. Go first. I think for us in Western Europe, one of the big challenges is an aging population. So the culture is actually a youth culture. Youth is kind of esteemed, um, but the population as a whole is growing older. 
more over 60s and under 16s in the UK. So the challenge is to both pastor and keep using the older people, while at the same time not taking our eye off the ball that we need to bring through younger people or the church literally will die. So in that, just in my church, we've over the last few months been, began to focus on this much more intentionally because we realized that uh, things happen in 10 year shifts. 10 years ago, we worked really hard to get lots more young people through, we did. And 10 years on, realizing actually we're starting to look a little bit too old again, uh, uh, but we need to work really intentionally at, at connecting with the 18 to 25s. And uh, that is a challenge in the culture where actually the general population shift is towards a much older demographic. So to hold the whole thing together, older people and younger people together, and to keep bringing younger people through in that kind of context, I think is a challenge for us in, in the UK and Europe. Mrs. Garrera, of the challenges that I have faced myself that uh, you know we raised two boys and uh, sometimes they tend to take uh, things for granted. And we do teach other children, but sometimes, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a bit difficult to train your own children, you know, the way they should go. Generation <laughs> Amen. Yeah, yeah, this is one of the challenge that lot of lot of the lot of the parents do face, and this is something I have been encouraging constantly uh, to all our all our family members as well as you know myself. You know, it, it's a challenge. You know, really uh, helping our children to to catch the vision, you know, and, 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 and you know, uh, passing the baton. So it's a, it's a challenge, but we never give up. We, yeah. we constantly remind everyone as well as we never give up on our children as well. It's, it's a challenge, but we never give up. If we don't train them, who gonna train them? So, so let's not give up on, on, the, on the generation to come. Uh, So I think in the South African context, we have a leadership crisis in some ways. And if you look at sort of the 18 to 25 year old age gap, um, you've got a 56% of young people are unemployed. So many wow. young people are in survival mode, just trying to find jobs and um, finding alternatives to, to, you know, things like gangsterism or just behavior that will take them down the wrong path. Um, but in my own life and in um, leading people in organizations, my greatest struggle is actually one of time. And I think, calling things out of people and giving people um, the encouragement and the courage to, you know, 
step into and out of comfortable, step into tough spaces or harder spaces out of their comfort zones requires time. It's sitting with people, it's having those coffees, yeah. and and it's putting aside, you know, a document you might be writing or a sermon you might be preparing or what budget, you, whatever, meetings you have to attend to and just deciding this has really got to be in your diary. We've got to call, you've got to call it out of people and it takes time. So that's my personal challenge. <laughs> I think just one of the, I mean, the common themes that I'm hearing are it takes a lot of intentionality. Like none of these, none of these guys are bringing through leaders, you know, by accident. It's not like, oh, look, 100 more leaders showed up today. This is great. No, they're all like very intentional. And it's even taking some courage, you know, to take people on and to call things out and to hold them accountable. I mean, that's, that's stuff that, I mean, it's challenging, you know. Um, just one last question, um, and maybe Sarah, we'll, we'll start with you this time. Um, what's one thing that you found kind of most helpful? I mean, you said it just takes time. It's, it's, it's hard, all the rest. Like, what's been, what's been one of the things that's been most helpful for you guys in, in bringing through the next generation? So I, I love it when I see potential in someone and then I can look them in the eyes and I can say, I see this in you and I believe it, that you, you know, there's, there's something more for you. And, um, and then I always get surprised because people often don't see themselves the way God sees them or the way we see them. And then, um, and then throwing them in the deep end, giving them an assignment, not really, but just giving them, giving people that we lead or people that are, we're managing or following, people that we're following, giving them bigger assignments putting them into spaces that are going to stretch yeah. them and walking with them. Yeah. Um, and then I, I think something that's helped me always is to always be following while, while we bringing, while we're trying to bring people through or, or develop staff or grow people, I always ask, well, who am I learning from? You know, yeah. I've always got something to learn. So. पहिलो कुरा त हामी कतिपय तयारी गर्ने कुराहरुमा अगुवा हौ भनेर चाहिँ एकदमै ठूलो स्थानमा बसेर कतिबेला अधिकार जन जतनि मात्र गर्दछ तर हामी त्यसरी नगरेर उनीहरुलाई चाहिँ आफू नै जस्तो आफू छ त्यस्तै उनीहरुलाई पनि त्यसरी नै उनको अगाडि प्रस्तुत गर्यौं भने उनीहरुले सहज प्रकारले हाम्रो कुरा सुन्न तयार हुन्छ वान अफ द थिङ एज अ लिडर दैट आई हेभ लर्न दैट यू हेभ टु इन्भाइट नो अदर पिपल इन टुअर लाइफ एन्ड लेट देम सी एन्ड अब्जर्व and that that would you know really help in some extent you know they they catch you know from from our lives kati pata maila apno jo seva ke kshetra ma apno church ma ma kahile pani apu lai ma unir ko agadi ekdamai thulo vyakti haru agwa jasto maile prastut gardaina ra tesaile unir ko lagi ma ekdamai unir jastai unir sang nachchu pani khelchu pani unir sang haschu pani unir sang gaune thama gaunchu pani ani unir le sochu ki ye hamro chai agwa eti unna bhayera hami jastai unun raicha ekdam frankly unun huncha bhanera uni hami sang ma sang kunai pani kura hiske chaudaina kunai pani kura u gardaina unir tayar huncha sabai kura it's very important as a leader not to keep ourselves up in the higher pedestrian rather you know uh, living a life down to earth and really identifying with them who they are and and walking with them in in day to day life and that has really helped us त्यसको मतलब यो यो पनि हैन कि उनीहरुले मलाई आदर गर्दैन सम्मान गर्दैन एकदमै धेरै आदर गर्नुहुन्छ सम्मान गर्नुहुन्छ तर जवान धेरै जवान हुनुहुन्छ अहिले यतिखेर हामी हामीसँग र हामीले उनीहरुलाई ट्रेनिङ दिँदै छौँ सिकाउँदै पनि छौँ कि अगाडि जो एक दिन हमें था कि हम एक मर्चों हमी मरी सके हमें अगर जेनेरेशन ने तैयार करेन परमेश्वर कार्य यहीं रुक् अगड़ी कसले लाने तो परमेश्वर कार्य अगड़ी लान का निम्ति हमी चाहे एकदम तो तैयारी नई रख्स वेन वी लिव डाउन टू अर्थ लाइफ इट्स नट दैट दे नट गोन रेस्पेक्ट अस इनफैक्ट दे विल अनर्स एंड रेस्पेक्ट अस फर हू वी आर and and that is something you know we need to sort of constantly sort of practice in our life and really you know uh, let them let them see who we are 
Yeah, if, if you're not familiar with the story uh, of the, the guys who are here from Nepal and India, it feels like every time we turn around, they've planted like 50 more churches. And so it's okay if they give multiple answers because they're doing a lot more than all of us. So <laughs> we're so honored to learn from you guys, man. We feel so privileged to have you here. So Matt, how would you answer that question? What's one thing that you found most helpful in bringing through the next generation of leaders? I think a big thing for me to learn, and I'm still learning it, is to look for people who aren't just like me. I think you can all tend to have a, a narrow bandwidth of what we think a leader looks like from our own experience yeah. and to see that actually God works through all kinds of people and there's people who might be very different from me in terms of their personality, makeup, their personal history, all that kind of stuff. But if they have faith and a godly ambition, then yeah. God can use that. And then yeah. the key thing for me is to speak faith to them. So I believe that you can actually be the a leader that God has called you to be. Mm. It's going to be a different pattern, different shape for me, perhaps. But uh, that's beautiful, and we need you in our team to strengthen us because uh, we need that breadth. So to, to look for that kind of diversity and to call it out with faith. Mm. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Man, thank you guys so much. Such a joy to have you guys, man. Thank you very much. <laughs>